again to the Bat-Ass Podcast, the Batman the Animated Series Show Podcast. My name is Clay McCormick, and with me is... Sean Murphy. And we are talking about Batman the Animated Series, and this is our second episode. Yep. Uh, today we'll be covering two episodes of the show, uh, On Leather Wings and Christmas with the Joker. Mm. Um, where should we start? You want to just jump right into it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well let's start off with On Leather Wings. Uh, in On Leather Wings, the breakdown is a mysterious bat-like creature terrorizes Gotham City, causing the police force to pursue Batman. The Dark Knight must find the real perpetrator to clear his name. And it was written by Mitch Bryan and directed by Kevin Altieri. Nice. So, this is the first real episode of the show that we see. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last, the last episode here we covered was the uh, um, uh, the, the short they did to sell it. Yeah, that that pitch. Right, which was you know we, as we had talked about, they really nailed everything right from the get go. But this is the first time that we see everything in action. Right. Did you think? Uh, what do you think of the changes they made from the pitch material to this first this first episode? Um, well, yeah. So it's, it's, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, the pitch material sort of reworked and turned into. The majority of the opening credits, right? And I think we should definitely talk about that credit sequence because that's like, oh yeah, the the perfect, yeah, inroad to this show. Yeah, it's like nice, it was like a nice cleaned up, more noir version of the pitch that they did. Right. Yeah, they kind of simplify things, and the animation's a lot sharper. Um, you don't have Batman dancing <laughs> like a hippie around bullets. Yeah. You've got these nice hard shadows of, of thugs punching and him, you know, yeah. just the just the silhouette like yeah. ducking out of the way and it's it's really nice. Yeah, they, they went out of their way not to reveal him until the lightning strikes at the very end. Right. It's really right. the first time you can see him. Yeah, they, they do a um and on top of the images, it's the first time that we get to hear the music that's gonna be a big, big part of the show. Right. And I'm not exactly sure I can never figure out if the theme to the show is just the Danny Elfman theme, or if it's reworked, because it's very similar to the Danny Elfman, Tim Burton theme. Right, or if it's Shirley Walker, yeah. who worked with him to do a lot of the stuff, I think. Right, and she'll be, she'll be the one doing the music for the, the yeah. remainder of the show. Yeah, yeah, I'm anxious anxious to talk about her later, um, mm-hmm. especially some of the like the specific little theme songs she gave um, Batgirl when Batgirl shows up. And, oh, right. And, like, you know, Clayface's music. It's, well, I mean, it's really the, distinct. Well, we could, we'll talk about the next when we cover... Christmas with the Joker. The theme for the Joker is is very distinct, and yeah. it, it follows it follows him everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, actually sort of impressed that they didn't go with the Joker for episode one because I think the right. temptation is to do it. But as you were saying last night, um, in a way, the Joker would have hogged the spotlight. And in this first episode, we almost need a quiet villain that doesn't talk, just like Man Bat does. Right. To really yeah. put the focus on Batman, because we really don't know who he is yet, nor do the cops. Right, Matt. Man, uh, excuse me, Man Bat is a very interesting choice because he's not even, he's not even like a second tier. He's almost a third tier villain. Yeah, you know, because you'd think you've got the Joker is the obvious one to go for, but they don't go Penguin, they don't go Catwoman, they don't go the Riddler, Two Face. They, they they dig pretty deep. Right, and as far as I know, this is the first time Man Bat has been on any screen he was created in the 70s yeah but this is the first time they've used him in in any sort of other yeah. media yeah i like that the um they kept it confusing like at the very beginning if 
if you don't really know what's going on, it looks almost like the man bat is Batman. Mm. Like they keep it sort of vague and they keep the cops guessing as to who or what this thing is. And I thought that that was a really smart choice to go with man bat and probably a pretty ballsy one, I guess. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I uh, and I agree with what you're saying. I think I think they almost use him as almost a misdirect. Yeah. But it's it's the kind of misdirect that I mean if you if you're in the know, obviously man bat doesn't look like Batman. Right. But it's enough of a misdirect that it works within the story that they're telling. Yeah. And we were talking a little bit about this before, how it's it's really interesting that there's no pilot for this show the way you would have a pilot now. There's no right origin for Batman, they or or, or any or the world or anything. It's very much just you're expected to know who Batman is. You're expected to know what the world is, and they just drop you right in. Right. Yeah. It's our Goth Batman is in progress. There's already a Robin. Well, I guess in the next episode there is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's already an Alfred. Batman's established. In fact, like I don't think that they really got too much into Bruce's past, except for a window here and there through the entire series. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was until Mask of the Phantasm where they really fleshed out his his past. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that that's really interesting that they didn't go linear with the whole thing. Yeah, and that Mask of the Phantasm, I think, is something we'll probably cover. Yeah. After. We finish the, se- the this <clears throat> first chunk of season, then we'll do Mask of Fan. I, I was thinking we would do uh, right. the show and then kind of break it up by doing one of the movies and then you know continue the show. So th- right. we'll definitely be covering that at some point. Right. Um, but yeah, the thing that really that really struck me about this is well, there's no, uh, it, it's not really an origin or a pilot episode. They do a really good job of setting up a world, a Gotham City where Batman isn't immediately. Um, the good guy, right? By uh, having that plot plot point where Man Bat is breaking into these places and stealing stuff, and obviously he's a giant mm-hmm. bat, so everyone assumes giant bat Batman, right? And that for the episode creates this tension between the cops and Batman, which is a really good introduction to that whole thing mm-hmm. because they work everybody into this episode pretty much. I mean, you, you get a really good feel for Gotham. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, um, so Gordon is there, Bullock is there. Yeah. And if there wasn't a, an immediate tension between the cops and Batman, I think it would be really ham fisted to fit those guys in there. Right. But they do a good job with it. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed, um, that Alfred's voice was not the guy they eventually ended up going with. I right. Think this, I forget both of their names actually. But um, Alfred in this, what struck me was that he was set up to be the comic relief. Wait, are we talking about? Oh wait, yeah, is he in? He, yeah. Is he in this one too? Yep, he does it. And he's he's that that character. Same thing. Okay, yeah, he's he's kind of a prick. Yeah, <laughs> I know he's kind of an asshole. <laughs> what did you think of the um, the blimps in the opening and how they sort of ended it the same way they began it in in the sky? What did oh, you think of yeah. that, that kind of circle? It was great. I mean, I think they give you a really great sense of the mood of, mm. of Gotham. I mean, those big blimps are just... I don't know why more people don't use them and stuff, because they're so cool. They're so beautiful. Yeah, there's something about them that... Yeah. It's like this weird... It's not quite steampunk, but it's like this weird... Blimps mm. seem to be this weird area where it's a very old technology. Right. But it's also, for some reason, represents, like, the future. Yeah, yeah, you know? you're right. It's very uh, metro- Metropolis or whatever. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Blade Runner, that yeah. big blimp thing is yeah. very kind of weird yeah. and old. And... and also, I think that it sets the mood in a way that a helicopter couldn't. 
because helicopters are just so noisy that you could technically have done the whole episode in a helicopter, but by using a blimp, it's quiet, it's lonely up there. You really get a chance to like play with the mist, mm-hmm. sort of uh, streaking off of the balloon as it starts to go through the clouds. Um, you know, and I think the uh, especially it highlights the atmosphere of Gotham, especially these um, the first initial run of the series um, before they streamlined it. It seemed like they really had a nice cloudy, uh, hazy effect yeah. over everything, which I thought was really amazing. Yeah, and that bl- the blimp really it's. Um... A helicopter would be too aggressive. Yeah. You know, and that really is, it's yeah. a much different feel. Whereas yeah. they give you that, those really nice panning shots over Gotham yeah, City. Yeah. And you, if you're following something flying, you can't really do those shots as right. um, passively or as, as quietly as you can right. with, yeah. with a blimp. And when, when Batman and Man Bat show up, it's so noisy and just, it's like this nice quiet scene of these two guys in a blimp and suddenly there's just this loud shriek out of nowhere. That scene wouldn't play out that that same way if you had a noisy helicopter. Yeah, and you have guys with helmets and, and you know earphones and they're talking on the radio and they had that too. But something about the blimp really made it um, a different scene, a different and, kind of. And scene. Man Bat would probably just fly into those propeller. That's blades. true. <laughs> it is that. That episode would have been really short. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you were saying last night. You pointed out that um, they do a really good job of populating Gotham City. Yeah, I thought that they. So the first. Um, one of the first scenes is a security guard who's recording himself late night mm-hmm. on patrol and just doing his radio voice. It's, it's, it's silly, but to dedicate uh, animation time to that, I think, is really significant because it's not obvious. And um, the biggest character for me in Gotham City is Gotham City itself. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. Batman. Yeah. Like when people ask me my favorite Batman villain, I usually answer Gotham, which mm-hmm. I know is not the right answer, but to me it is. And uh, there was a couple times... Um, there was a some lab assistants who were making out. Mm-hmm. Batman flies by or something, and I really appreciate when they do that. I don't know if the comics do it enough, but I haven't read everything. Yeah, it's it's tough to do. I find it can be tough to do in the comics because I don't know. It I, it I feel like in in this you have a little bit more. Uh, it's easier to get across characterization yeah. quickly because you've got voices and stuff, and and it might be a little bit easier to to spend some time with. Right, a peripheral character. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they do a really great job. Uh, even at the beginning, the guys piloting the blimp mm-hmm. are your first intro to whatever Man Bat is. Yeah. And uh, um, yeah, they've always done a good job in the show of their peripheral characters being fairly memorable. Mm-hmm. There's even there's more of them in um, uh, Christmas with the Joker. There's yeah. The, the, the reporter. Yeah, and the, the woman who he, they think he's going to get robbed and stuff. We'll talk about that later. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. So I'm writing and drawing my own Batman, and I don't have a lot of scenes that just show Gotham, Gothamites, I should say, mm-hmm. just doing day in, day out. And I wish I had more, like an extra three pages just to show people hanging their laundry buying soup at the bodega and really making Gotham feel lived in. And I think the reason is, um, I think that writers are just tempted to get to the story because you don't know if this will ever be your last Batman that you can do. So you want to squeeze in everything you can. And page space is very precious. So um, I can see why it doesn't get addressed very much. And I'm guilty of doing it myself. Mm -hmm. What I've tried to do to balance that out is like, I have a scene where there are these news reporters talking about this Batman sighting. And on the last shot, I zoom out so you can see the cameraman and the people on set 
recording the sound and eating their lunch. Even though they don't have any lines, I just wanted to try to remind people that Gotham is populated with average folks. Right. Because in my story, the Gotham citizens make up a big part of what happens. Yeah. And I think I think you can see how big of a character Gotham is and how um, uh, important it is to portray it as such if you go back and you look at the movies because if you go back and you look at the Tim Burton Batman movie yeah. or both of them <clears throat> as much as I love them Gotham City is like the the size of a single you know back lot at Warner Brothers Studio yeah. you know the Monarch Monarch Theater where his parents get killed <laughs> it's in every shot is in every shot <laughs> yeah the only time you see the Batmobile racing through Gotham City yeah. he's kind of like going 10, 15 miles an hour through Gotham City. Yeah, There's a lot of people there. It's got kind of that same yeah. population that Blade Runner does. Mm -hmm. But if you were to compare those two things, Blade Runner works with that claustrophobia because they're really trying to lean into that. Mm -hmm. Whereas Gotham needs to feel big. It needs right. to feel like there's crevices you can get lost in. Yeah, yeah. And they do a really good job in, in the cartoon of doing that. They don't really get it. They don't really hit that note in the movies until Nolan. Because right. he took the... He turned Gotham City into an amalgamation of real cities. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't on a, it wasn't on a, a back lot. It was actually they were shooting in uh, New York. They were shooting in Pittsburgh. So it mm -hmm. was they could be on the road, on the street, yeah, and have those nice sprawling large shots, right? Yeah, which you can do in animation, right? You know, and they and they do a, a really nice job. Yeah, I was going to ask. Do you think that Batman works better as a cartoon, as a movie, or as a comic? Ooh, and this is totally an opinion question. Um, <laughs> I don't think there's any right answer. You know, I don't know. I my first instinct is comic, mm -hmm. because the thing that I think makes him the best superhero character is you can apply Batman to any story and any type of story, and it always works. You can do a, a, a crime story. You mm -hmm. can do um, a, a monster story. You could do a sci-fi story, and he always works for some reason. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, you probably there's a, a, a couple. Right. Things you have to give and take about what you're willing to extend your right. disbelief to. Right. Um, but that's not. I don't. I don't feel like there are so. Many, there, there's a lot of characters that I don't feel you can do that with. Mm -hmm. Like I don't feel like it works that well with Spider-Man. I don't think it works that well with Superman. Uh, I really cared for that. <laughs> but if you send Batman to space, yeah, I'll buy it. Why not? <laughs> yeah, I could never do Batman in space. <laughs> I'm one of the. I, I, I feel one of those people that feels like Batman only works in Gotham. Mm -hmm. The minute you introduce superheroes into his world, I think it starts to change yeah. very quickly. Even monsters. There was one episode uh, later on where there's magic, basically. Oh, yeah. And magic, to me, fucks up the classic crime detective noir. Like, I get the impulse to want to put Batman with the Justice League, and it's fine, that, but you need to approach it in an entirely different way. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, you know, I, I think each of those different types of story you can put him in... They do require a different approach to the character, yeah, but I yeah. think the core of the character still works. Right. Because he is, you know, fairly... Stri the stripped-down version of Batman is, is very simple. Right. And it's it's very hard to mess with that and have it not work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that Batman, for me, works best as a cartoon or as a comic. Mm -hmm. I, we know when they try to flesh him out and show all his... SWAT gear and his tactical equipment and some of the stuff works but 
I mean, even in the Burton version, there's a few shots where he, they animated a cartoon to be him. Oh, yeah. Like, the, the cape spin. Yeah, when he's looking down. down shot of Gotham. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's something about having to hand animate something, or even with Flash, I guess, and just break it down into simple shapes and give an impression of a figure in an alleyway <clears throat> rather than try to film it, you know? And I think there are ways to do it, but I don't know. My personal taste is I, I like sort of a creative spin on it, and I think that when you flesh it out into the real film, you end up... It, it starts to fray a bit for me. Yeah. Know? Like, I don't like when his neck is too thin. I don't care if he can turn his head. <laughs> Michael Keaton, to me, looks like the best Batman mask, and he's always lit from above, you know? Right. I, to me, that's pretty much the epitome. Yeah, I, I mean, we were talking about this a little bit yesterday, too, but the design of Batman... Base, you know, people are always arguing about, oh, well, underwear versus no underwear, blah, 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 what, the, what should the belt look like? Yeah. Basically, everything from the ribs down on Batman doesn't matter mm-hmm. because he's at he's at his best when you're seeing, when you've got that Tim Burton-style light from above or from the side where right. it's accenting the top of the cape. Yeah. And he's meant to be a force, a, right. you know, a, a shape. Right. You know, he's you're not supposed to see all the all the uh, you right. know, every limb moving right. at every time yeah. at all times. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I never thought about that. So when I showed you my character designs, my bat suit costume, I thought I put a lot of work into how high his boots are and the way his belt works, and uh, I got through the whole first issue, and I never really got to show the costume. Uh, I never had that panel where it reveals like Sean Murphy's Batman. Yeah. And I think when you said that, it doesn't matter from the waist down what he looks like that's exactly right and i went through all of these shots with you and i'm like oh my god like i never really lit his legs once yeah you know like batman did not enter a light room if he did it was cast shadows and yeah it doesn't really matter because the costume's cop batman's costume is shadows it's not necessarily tights right and that's why that's why if you look at his costume and how the different ways it's drawn and represented Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter what it's made out of because the intent is always the same which is to create that one shape right so it can be all mechanical and made out of armor and it still works or it could be a sweatshirt and you know a homemade cowl and cape and it still works yeah 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 and uh um i think they picked the way they depict him in the show i think is is pretty much Mm -hmm. pretty as close to ideal as you can get yeah yeah well i was going to ask you um I have four. I think there's only basically four different kinds of Batman people mm-hmm. sort of funnel into. Uh, one is classic, which which is you know tights. Usually it's it's the kind of stuff you see uh, on underwear, and it's licensed for kids' pajamas. Yep. Jim Lee art, you know, Silver Age type stuff too. Then you have um, tactical Batman, which is sort of Chris <clears throat> Nolan, which is um, uh, Arkham Asylum, where you can see his armor, you can see the buttons and the pop rivets and the gear. The third one would be. Um, an animated version, mm-hmm. which is obviously this one. And the fourth one for me is the Phantom Batman, mm-hmm. which to me, the Phantom one is, it's very impressionistic. It's probably uh, encapsulated very well by artists like Sam Keith. It's like heavy shadows. It really works Batman into the environment. And you, it doesn't really matter where his belt is or how many, or what his chest uh, emblem looks like. It's really just a fog. Yeah. It's designed that way. And he almost looks different in each panel. Mm-hmm. Each, the sizes of the ears will change depending on what's needed yep. it just doesn't matter and i was going to ask you like which out of the four do you think your batman would be i think i would probably be closer to that last one where he's more of a phantom yeah but the thing that i like again the thing that makes him work is that he works in all of those things right you know and 
I always I always thought it was really interesting how you could have the more seventies um, uh, Neil Adams type where it's just you know skin tight whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you were to push in and do a close up and have him like pull something off of his arm to yeah. reveal armor, you totally buy it. Yeah, there's something about the costume that it, it works in everything. But I I mm-hmm. prefer the more the shadowy yeah. phantom like. Like yeah. going back to uh, not to talk too much about the movies, but going back to uh, you know the Tim Burton Batman versus the Chris Nolan Batman. Um, I think Burton's Batman cared more about style mm-hmm. than uh, practicality, right. and I think Nolan's Batman cares more about practicality than style. Yeah, and yeah. I think the sweet spot is somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I, mean, I I do too. You know, and I don't think there are four distinct so much as there's usually a mix of some of those elements like even for mine i try to go phantom as much as i can yeah but inevitably he'll get back to the bat cave he'll take off the cape he'll put his keys on the counter and you know you have to see how he works eventually right um and like you could still try to hide it but eventually you're going to need to show him reaching into his belt for smoke bombs or grabbing grabbing his bat hooker mm-hmm. you know so yeah I, for me it's a mix of probably tactical batman um but mostly with the uh, phantom batman if i can help it yeah yeah well, speaking of Batman, uh, <laughs> nice segue. Yeah, nice segue. Yeah. <laughs> we should probably talk about the character himself as he appears in this <clears throat> this episode because this is the first time we get to hear the Kevin Conroy Batman voice. But we first hear it not That's out true. of Batman, yeah. <laughs> out of the guy behind the steering wheel Driving of the, the blimp. Yeah, literally a steering wheel. <laughs> Where it's yeah, the, it's 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 interesting. I don't think you'd ever pick that up. On first watch, but his voice is so yeah. unique yeah. that going back, there's no way to miss it. <laughs> I think they only hired three people, and they're like, oh, shit, who can do a different kind of... Who can do a pilot? Uh, well, uh, Conroy uh, hasn't left yet, so let's just yeah. ask him to do it. It's like it's like the early days of The Simpsons, where if you go back and you watch some of the early episodes, you can hear uh, you know, Lisa and Bart and those voices doing other voices, yeah. where now it's like, oh, that doesn't work. But no. in the first season, nobody knew the voices exactly. well enough. But yeah. yeah, I think it's a budgeting thing and also not planning ahead to hire enough extras if you need to. And I know eventually Bruce Tim does a few voices too. He might even do some in this. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it, Kevin Conroy's just got such a distinct voice. But it's funny because he pulls off a varying amount of Batman's. Yeah. He's got goofy Bruce Wayne and then later on it's business Bruce Wayne mm-hmm. and then it's like firm voice Batman and then right now we're still in like smoky whispery Batman. Right. Which I like the best. And one of the things they do here which is uh, as far as um, most representations outside of movies go well I mean depending on how you feel about how Michael Keaton played Batman you could argue he didn't really divide the two as much as he probably could. But this I mean they do a really good job of of separating Bruce Wayne from Batman yeah. which I don't I can't think of another cartoon even in the even in the the Adam West one it's yeah. like well, yeah. they were not really trying that hard to break them up I think that they were thinking of him as Clark Kent in a way yeah like they goofed him up enough to be like you know goofy Clark Kent um I don't know if the Adam West version if Bruce Wayne was the same or different than the persona of Batman he was a little different it was not as yeah is not as pronounced as this. I I don't really think they were yeah. thinking about that too yeah. much. Um, Which uh, Bruce Wayne do you prefer? Like the cool Don Draper one of the later seasons, or do you like Goofy Bruce? I 
I appreciate Goofy Bruce. Um, <laughs> this is an action figure. That sounds like a band name. <laughs> he falls into the pool. Yeah. <laughs> he comes well, with a the thing, peel. you know, one of the one of the best things again to move to the movies. Uh, the thing I loved about Batman Begins was Christian Bale went out of his way to make a yeah. very hard line between Batman and the cover, at least the cover story, Bruce Wayne. Right. You know, where he was the playboy, he was a little bit goofy. And I think that goes a long way to taking the character seriously because it's mm-hmm. an important part. That's what yeah, makes yeah. it believable, you know? Right. Yeah, I guess I always preferred the later version where he's more like um, Don Draper. It's almost like he's still in costume, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, like, that's the sort of Bruce I'm writing into my book, but I do appreciate Goofy Bruce or yeah. Playboy uh, Womanizer Bruce. Yeah, I think he might be a little too goofy here. Yeah. I think they, they might go a little too far. Um, but it is a good way to introduce you to the concept of them being different people. Yeah, yeah. The one detail that I love is that uh, when they're in the Batcave, uh, um, Alfred... Uh, Batman says something about, oh, I gotta go out and check, blah, blah, blah. And Alfred says, I'll cancel Master Wayne's date with mm-hmm. Bunny or whatever. Yeah. He refers to Bruce Wayne as a different person than Batman. Right. He doesn't say your, he says Master Wayne's. Right, yeah, yeah. Which is which is really interesting. Is this right after uh, or before Batman answers the phone? Oh, yeah. Bruce's voice, like, hey, Billy, you ready for uh, badminton That was, was kind of off-putting. That was kind of <laughs> weird. Yeah, and they didn't move the camera, and like it was very obvious that what they were doing. I don't know. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, I think it works, but it was. It's just so strange to hear that goofy voice coming out of you know, I am the Night Batman. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, man, the uh, animation quality in this episode was insane. Yeah, from the uh, SWAT team, the guys who grab their guns and go hup, 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 into yep. the building, to that like big uh, yellow truck that. Oh, the it's, paddy wagon? The, yeah, the over-designed awesome like deco. Eight, eight lights in the front? Yeah. Did they ever make an action figure out of that? I don't know. They probably will. They're making them out of everything else. It's, it's so distinct, that that, that, that thing. Uh, and then finally, um, the chase at the end where Batman has hooked himself onto Man-Bat. Yeah. And they're going through these uh, construction buildings and all these like I-beams. Uh, God, what a nightmare that must have been to, to animate. Yeah, I think, I think they were really showing off yeah. and, and really... Putting, putting some extra yeah. elbow grease into it, especially yeah. compared to the next episode where it seems more like what I remember a cartoon to yeah. look like. Well, the, the, the rocket Christmas tree yeah. isn't uh, animated to your, <laughs> yeah. to your high standards. But I mean, like that whole sequence, there's one sequence where, you know, Man Bat is dragging Batman behind him and they do this beautiful shot where it's like, you see the blimp and then... Uh, a close-up of Man Bat comes into frame, and then he right. just veers off and, and yeah. like goes over the thing and is dragging him behind. It's really, yeah, yeah. really nice. It's, you don't see that in most yeah. television shows. Yeah, you know, I, I really, I don't know how you feel. I really love simple animation tricks that get a lot of uh, play. Like mm. um, when people move, when they move two layers, they used to do it in like old Super Nintendo games. Mm-hmm. Even though it's just two layers moving and the perspective isn't even changing, it just has that. It really does pop for some reason yeah and a, a quick little simple animation of batman's cape fluttering even if you run it on loop really goes a long way yeah there's that great shot there's a like a down shot of uh, man bat pulling batman and it's all you see the only movement is the fluttering of his cape right and all they probably did was they just moved yeah. the highlights and shuffled That's, them around yeah. but it works totally yeah. it works it's perfectly like four cells just on loop basically yeah. for half a second and yeah it totally reads yeah, they really they really went out of their way to yeah. make this one look good. Yeah, there was one shot where uh, he, you were behind him, Batman. So he, he was doing this like uh, F14 
uh, military plane almost like yeah. roll and his cape was fluttering around his ankles and you could see that I mean that seemed like a nightmare to animate but looked amazing yeah yeah and uh, we get our first as I said earlier we get our first look at some of the the, the side characters that are going to be big deals like uh, um, Commissioner Gordon and yep. Bullock I think I didn't look it up but I'm pretty sure this is the f- Bullock didn't exist Right before this show, and I'm pretty sure he exists in the comics now, right? I know he's on Gotham, I think. Yeah, well, he's in mine. Oh, yes, so, okay. Yeah, um, but I, I haven't read a whole lot of what came before me, as we've established before. <laughs> um, the uh, I, I thought that Bullock was in the Tim Burton, but you pointed out it was... Um, Eckhart. Eckhart, yeah. who was a Bullock swipe. Yep, who was also or the uh, Porkins, Porkins, the X-Wing pilot from Star Wars. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which one was he? The fat one. You body shaming? <laughs> no, it's just, you know, pick him out with a silhouette. But he was actually fat. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But I, and he died because of it. Well, I don't know about that. That's very possible. <laughs> um, they do a good job here of, uh, again, defining who these characters are going to be. Like, Bullock is very yeah. aggressive. Take and no shit. doesn't like Batman. Yeah. Uh, um, Gordon is somewhere in the middle. Yep. Where he under- appreciates what Batman's doing, yeah. but he's yeah. not entirely on board. Because as yeah. soon as soon as it comes down to this, looks like it's Batman. Gordon yeah. goes after him. Yeah, you know, which is which is a nice touch. He's yeah. not just yeah the old guy who calls the red phone. Yep. You know? No, and I thought the mayor too was nice to see him introduced very early on. Yep. Uh, he answers for the city. He, he, you know, he's not sure about vigilantism, and you know. Gordon seems to think that he understands Batman in a small way, saying that this isn't his style or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny, I, I work Gordon and Mar- the Marin in my book too, and in my book, uh, Gordon is really pushed hard to consider why he never arrests Batman. Yeah. And uh, everyone around him makes some really compelling arguments about how lax Gordon has been and why it might have cost Gotham more than it's worth. And mm-hmm. even Gordon's forced to re- reassess his his free pass that he seems to give Batman all the time. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think, I, yeah, there's a lot of uh, the animated series in my book. I'll probably say that a lot throughout this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we get a first look at Harvey Dent, too, a pre-Two-Face Harvey Dent. Yeah. Which is, I always appreciate when they drop in a pre-Two-Face Harvey Dent because yep. it's always like, it's the kind of foreshadowing that I re- get really excited about because yeah. they're like, don't worry. We, we, it's like it's like being, it's like confirming that they know what they're doing. Right. Like even in the Tim Burton Batman, yeah. Harvey Dent shows up in there. It's like, oh, yeah. that's, you know what's going to happen even though unfortunately it didn't. But Did Harvey have a, have a coin? He did. In that yeah. scene? There you go. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think I listened to uh, an extra uh, commentary at some point about that episode and they they made the conscious decision to hold off on Harvey Dent because they wanted to introduce him first. They didn't want to introduce him at the beginning of the episode and by the end, right, he's changed. They, right. they didn't think that the emotional commitment was there if they rushed it like that. Which is something that is pretty unique for yeah. the show. I mean, you know, if you go back to the 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 Batman, the 60s show, they didn't give a shit about that. It was just villain right. of the week, you know? Right. I mean, even here... Um, you're not just getting man bat. It's not just oh well he's here and you know mm-hmm. he's got to fight him and that's it. You actually get story. You 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 get story behind the character. Uh, you get a, a wife character, mm-hmm. and I, I think I think it's really great. I don't love the execution, but I, I like the intent. What do you what do you think of the story and how's it plays? How well, it plays yeah, you were mentioning when we had lunch um, that you weren't too hot on the writing. I was going to ask mm-hmm. you what that meant. Well, 
I I don't think Man Bat is very fleshed out. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the early stuff you get with him is great. The mystery behind him is great. But when you find out exactly like what his motivation is, I feel like it's kind of like kind of yeah. rushed. Uh, yeah, I very quick. You know, it's very very pulp. Like it would have might have cut the mustard back in the nineteen fifties or whatever. Mm-hmm. That was the only thing that I felt very dated. Dated in a bad way about the episode mm-hmm. was the uh, villain's motivation. And I understand that they had to... The villain was really not the point of the episode. It was to introduce Batman. Right. So they didn't want to give too much time to it. But even what little they did was a little unsatisfying. Yeah. And compared to the comic, um, Man Bat's origin is that it's it's the same sort of Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing. But it's, uh, it's mm-hmm. more of like a Hulk yeah. situation where uh, Kirk Langstrom is... Mm-hmm. I believe it's been so long since they and they've changed so many times. But right. uh, I believe the original origin is that he was searching for a way to infuse um, the bat sonar hearing right. uh, into humans in order to help deaf people. And so he then tests the thing on himself or whatever, and that's what turns him into Man Bat. I'm sorry, wait, that's the comic? Yeah, I believe so. That's really good. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting idea. Do, I wish they had done that instead of yeah, making him just obsessed with bats. And these are the next evolutionary steps. Yeah, it's like, I, I even watching it last night, I was like, really? That's that's it? Because yeah. he just kind of comes in and he's and he he has some monologue where he, he's, he's he says something to the effect of, uh, yeah, he accidentally discovered this cross between mm-hmm. bats and humans yeah. and now i am that thing yeah he didn't know what to do with it and uh yeah I don't yeah know. and then he's, <laughs> he's just like and i tested it on myself and now like he's very clearly a, like an yeah. arch yeah arch villain yeah and um um yeah they're too they're too archy both him and yeah. uh his father-in-law or whatever yeah and in in the comics he's he's more like uh i, I guess the hulk isn't the right analogy more like the lizard the mm-hmm. spider-man villain Right. Who's the doctor who's trying to fix his arm kind of thing. And oh, yeah. Of, yeah. I think it's a lot more like that. Yeah. Um, which is a shame because that's, for me, if if we want to get into the one thing we would change, I think that's what the one thing I would change is I would maybe give, mm-hmm. you know, for, for kids, it doesn't matter. Right. They're not going to catch this stuff. But looking at it from uh, uh, analytically now, that's right. the one thing I would change that I think would add a little bit more weight and right, a little bit right, more punch right. to this episode. Yeah. What about you? What, do you, what, what would you change? Uh, or anything? Yeah, I think you made a good point. I'm, I'm convinced that uh, the comic book origin of uh, Man Bat would have been better, less arch-villainy, um, just as brief. Mm-hmm. And not it wouldn't quite fall apart so much on anal- analyzation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I hate to even find... To point anything out wrong with it, because this episode does is firing on all cylinders, yeah. except for a, a few tiny niggles, basically. Yeah. Um, I really liked. I mean, they, they they showed off the chops of what Gotham is, what kind of action this cartoon's gonna have. They showed Batman. They showed the way he fights. They showed the height of Gotham up to those blimps. They had a nice shot with the Batmobile. They they really framed everything very well. Um, just in case the executives weren't convinced by this pitch. This pilot episode certainly hits all its marks, and it convinced, oh, definitely. I mean, I'm sure, obviously, it was designed to show the viewers that you know they're not messing around here. So yeah, and again, I'm surprised at how dark and kind of scary it is too, because the scene where Langstrom, you watch him turn into Man Bat, yeah, that's creepy as shit, man. Oh yeah, yeah. Like you get like full frame, you know, the teeth come out and like he yeah. tears through the clothes, and you know, it's it's yeah, pretty yeah. pretty creepy. Yeah, 
Yet his pants are still on. Yeah. Just well, like they're always, yeah. Well, it's funny. So later on, spoilers, uh, it's his daughter who is the man bad. Mm-hmm. And when she hulks out, she conveniently has a, like a, a pink tube top that manages to stay intact. Yeah. <laughs> There's a big uh, big industry for stretchy Lycra pants oh, in the yeah. superhero world. So. Yeah, superhero, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so my favorite question to ask with these podcasts is, uh, as an artist, which sequence or which frame would you take out of the cartoon what would you like to have drawn or what would you like to redraw and redo your way um if i had to redo a scene um ooh, that's tough it's, it's this episode is just it's so well done yeah um i mean i don't think i could do it better but that chase sequence when he's dragging him yeah. Drag Batman behind him is right. just is what I can imagine would be yeah. so much fun to draw. Yeah, you know, so the because of animation, they're they can obviously tackle that in a lot more compelling way because they have movement on their side. Mm-hmm. Um, with you know, with still life drawings or whatever panels, like even with moment to moment storytelling, it would not feel that exciting. I feel. Yeah. Um, but you could maybe play around with some il- interesting illustration ideas, like the panel borders and those eye beams. Um, you know, as you flip the page, yeah, you know, there's a lot of cool ideas that you could do if you had the time and space, yeah, I think, to, yeah. to handle that in a different way. Like, that's the thing, I think, the difference between comics and animation is comics can do things that animation cannot do and vice versa. So, yeah. uh, the scene I would probably draw or really like to sink my teeth into might be just the beginning with the blimp and the haze and Gotham as a quiet city, and I'd probably show Batman hidden somewhere oh, or yeah. about to break into the scene for real. Mm-hmm. I'd love to have like a print of that or really like a, just a two page spread. Yeah. It just takes your breath away, you know? Yeah. It'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that about covers this episode. Yeah. Uh, do you want to give it a arbitrary rating? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's one through five, huh? Yeah. Hmm. Why don't you go first? Um, I would give it a four because I think it, it's a great introduction to the show. Yeah. They, you know, the animation's amazing. Uh, you get a great idea of the world and the characters. And the only, my only real uh, quibble is 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 the the villain could have been fleshed out a little bit more. Right, Aside yeah. from that, I think it's a it's it's yeah. a it's a solid triple. Yeah, I feel that for me, if there's a hundred episodes, which I think there's around then, um, I think maybe only ten of them should get fives, mm-hmm. and then there should be twenty fours and all the way down. Uh, so I don't think this is a top 10. Yeah. In other words, I think it's amazing. So I'm going to go four. Yeah. And it's interesting when I think back, when I think back to the show, I always remember the ones that didn't feature characters that I, the villains that I really knew were mm-hmm. always the ones that I kind of didn't really care about. Like yeah. this one was pro I think thinking back before I watched it again, this is one where I was like, eh, man, bad. I don't really, I don't really care. But right. when you when I actually sat down and watched, it, I was like, "Oh, this is a this is really yeah. good." I don't know. Again, I don't know if it would be one a top ten one for me, but it's, right, it's, yeah. it's really really great. And it's funny. The episodes that I always felt drawn to were not um, with the supervillains. It was some weird small t- like I have Batman in my basement. Oh it was yeah, a really neat idea. Yeah. And then there's one where there's like um, a, a divorced father is trying to. He's got an invisible cloak and he's using it to visit his daughter, which he's not allowed legally to, to have contact with. And uh, she thinks he's an imaginary friend, and Batman ends up finding out. And it's such a small story that hints at domestic abuse. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the kind of thing that you would think Batman wouldn't waste his time on because yeah. there's 
the Jokers out there, but I love those small slice of life stories. Um, and they managed to throw in a lot very early on. Like, you think that they would tackle Clayface immediately, but instead they do a Grey Ghost episode, which yeah. is coming yeah. up. Well, again, that's, I think, one of the one of the benefits of the character is, is he can be a symbol for other things or a metaphor yeah. for other things as much as he can be literally punching someone in the face, you know? Right. So you can do a, 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 a domestic abuse story with Batman where Batman's not, where he's yeah. not just beating the crap out of people. Right. And it still works, you know? Right, right, right. Okay. So yeah, I think that pretty much covers it for this episode. I'll yeah. play a quick clip and then we'll come back and talk about Christmas with the Joker. Alrighty, so this episode is Christmas with the Joker, directed by Kent Butterworth, written by Eddie Gorodetsky, and the plot is, after escaping Arkham Asylum on Christmas Eve, the Joker takes over Gotham's airwaves and terrorizes the city for a crime. He challenges... Wait, yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't read. I can't read. Uh, he challenges Batman and Robin to find his hidden TV studio and free his hostages, Commissioner Gordon, Detective Bullock, and Summer Gleason before midnight. Yeah. I have really mixed feelings about this episode. Yeah, me too. I, uh, I can say from the beginning, I, I hate the beginning, uh, where yeah. Joker escapes a rocket Christmas tree. Like, I know this is a kid's cartoon, but that defies even cartoon logic. Um, I think they could have nixed that completely and just had Joker already on the loose or something. Yeah, it's my, uh, just to jump to the end, uh, my biggest issue with this episode is that it feels like an episode of the 60s show with the um, veneer of the modern cartoon. On right, it. yeah. Because the Joker is, he's very over the top. I mean, the Joker is always over the top. I mean, right. But it's like over the top in the in the campy mm-hmm. 60s way where, yeah, the first shot is him, or first scene is him escaping Arkham Asylum in a rocket Christmas tree, mm-hmm. which is very similar to in the, the, I think the first episode with the Joker in the 60s show He's like playing baseball or softball and he stands on the pitcher's mound and it like springs him over the wall or some <laughs> shit like that. Uh, maybe it was a nod to that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But I mean, but they continue that stuff where like they've got the giant walking nutcrackers and stuff and it's it's very, and Robin makes a couple quips that are like kind of, you know, uh, very, yeah. very reminiscent of the 60s yeah. show. I, uh. To geek out, the thing I love is he's trying to get Batman to watch It's a Wonderful Life. Right. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I love how um, Bruce keeps saying, you know, oh, I could never get past the title. Yeah. And he just clearly is not after A Wonderful Life. I mean, it's not thinly, very thinly veiled. Right. But even at the end, when they finish the movie, the uh, shot on their screen is this Liberty Bell, which I think Republic Pictures owns the rights to It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. It's a studio that went when bankrupt or whatever, or shut down in the 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever. And uh, somebody else owns the rights to that movie now. But mm-hmm. I love how they even got the correct final shot from that movie to right. put on the screen. And even if it's a small thing, like I geeked out about that a little bit. Yeah, it's a, it's a great instant recognition because it's a very famous final shot. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you bring up a point that I, I wanted to talk about. This episode, you know, they tend to do, the shows tend to do this when they get to holiday episodes where... There's always one character who's more cynical about it than the other, and usually by the end of the episode, they're kind of like, you know what, Christmas isn't really that bad. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> um, but it, it made me think, like, do you think Batman is a cynical character by nature? 
does is his outlook in this episode where he's constantly always expecting the worst out of people is that just how he is i don't know you know when he catches the joker he has kind of a smile on his face at the Mm -hmm. end um almost like he's not taking it very seriously even though he just had been shot at for the last 15 minutes um i don't know if this version of batman is that cynical Mm -hmm. i think he becomes that cynical uh when season four happens yeah justice league he becomes very gruff and grim yeah what about just as a general concept of the character uh, what, in what any you, form? What do you think? I think, I don't know, it's it's a, it's a tough call because you have to imagine that he's doing what he's doing because he's not cynical, because he does kind of, I, don't, I guess that's where you kind of get the really good juxtaposition between Superman and Batman, mm-hmm. you know, ideally, right. anyway. <laughs> Um, because Bat- Superman traditionally, anyway, uh, yeah. sees the best in people, and Batman is always the one who's going to be, you know, when someone pulls a fast one, he's going to be like, "See, I told you so." He's going right. to be the one who expects the worst. Yeah, and I think he probably has to be that cynical to an extent in order to do what he does. Because mm-hmm. if he expected the best out of people, then he would yeah. not be as hard on people as he is. You know? it, it, it occurs to me that uh, if we created a drinking game for this podcast, and every time you mention the bad uh, Batman Superman movie you have to take a drink I don't think you would last <laughs> to the end of the episodes what are you talking about I love that movie it was great moving on Ugh. I walked out man Fuck that movie <laughs> yeah I, I was I was not a fan we'll put it that way yeah I, I could go off all day on what I didn't like about that movie yeah. but yeah. Uh, um, yeah I think he is yeah fairly cynical in general and that's what makes you know I shouldn't not even to bring Superman into the equation, the Batman and Robin dynamic right. works the best because Robin is generally the inverse in attitude. Right. You know, he's a lot more uh, 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 freewheeling and kind of kind of happy. Right. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's funny. Um, there's two places I want to go with this. But mm-hmm. I'll go with the Robin angle. Um, I always, I never really liked this version of Robin. Mm-hmm. He was too jokey, joke joke kind of a kid and i i know what they were trying to do but it wasn't until they brought in tim drake in season four mm-hmm. that i started to really like robin yeah because that version of robin the kid was a different origin story he wasn't as messed up as dick was yeah like, Dick had some real daddy issues and yeah. even though um drake has his own issues he seemed to have a healthy uh distance from them and he could he didn't let batman get to him yeah he just, he just kind of let it roll off his shoulders whereas dick was looking for a lot from Bruce and he didn't get it and it, the wedge between them just grows and grows and grows basically and they they really kind of lean into that later on when he becomes Nightwing he's, right. a, he's not really the same character he's a lot yeah he's more dark yeah he's much darker as Nightwing yeah hence the mullet yeah that stupid <laughs> ponytail <laughs> yeah um the other thing I was going to say was um you talk about Bruce being cynical um so in my version of the comic that I'm writing I uh I, what I think is, well, at least my version, Bruce is not motivated to fight crime because of the death of his parents. Mm-hmm. He thinks he is. But one thing in my book that the Joker or Batgirl, I don't know who yet, points out to him is, you're not doing this for your parents. You're not doing it for Gotham. You're doing it for Alfred. And okay. Al- Alfred's weight in Bruce, Bruce's life is huge. I mean, he's obviously a surrogate father. That's no big deal. Yeah. But uh, I think that he, the reason he fights crime is just to please his father figure, basically. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's been done before. Yeah, that's but, um, interesting because I mean, it, it kind of gets into how you, 
how you feel, or I should say what you feel Alfred contributes or doesn't contribute. Right. Because, you know, is he the kind of Alfred where, <laughs> you know, like he's he's helping build the machinery and build the bat suits and shit like that. Oh, yeah. Or, or I should, just even to, to back it up to even a, a simpler idea. Right. Does he condone what's going on or does he hate it? You know, mm-hmm. or is it some... Because true. You know there's, what I mean? there's different versions, too. Yeah. There's some versions of Alfred that wants Bruce to stop. Some will fix Bruce's car and, you know... Um, I'm sure there's a version that's put on the suit to go out and save Bruce. Uh, <laughs> I know in the 60s, Batman, uh, occasionally <laughs> when Bruce was off doing something else, Robin and Alfred would, would take the Batmil- Batmobile out, I believe because Robin couldn't drive. <laughs> So Alfred would put on like a little, you know, Kato mask and drive the Batmobile. You know, Robin, you're already breaking a lot of laws by being a vigilante you in may the first place. I'm not to mention like assault, uh, reckless endangerment. I mean, what else could you charge Robin with? I don't think uh, driving without a license is ever really gonna. Yeah. <laughs> That's but funny, it, though. but again, in this episode, they the the uh, way they they um, they illustrate Alfred is kind of like. He's kind of a prick. <laughs> yeah. yeah he's, he's very condescending. Yeah, he is. Um, which is which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, he's very much... They treat him very much like a butler yeah. and like nothing more than a butler. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the different versions of Alfred. There's like a retired MI6 version. Yeah, that's the, the hip, the new hip version. Yep. Yeah. And then there's um, just butler Alfred, who's mostly a moral compass, mm-hmm. which I think is the one I'm most comfortable with. Um, it's more of like the Michael Caine kind of... Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, let's talk about Joker then. Yeah, about definitely. Mark Hamill. Definitely. Um, yeah, you know, I, I know that the book you're doing, the Joker has a very. <laughs> so I, this might be coming out before my book is released, so don't spoil certain things. If you oh, I, no, I'm not. I wasn't going to say like okay, specifics, cool. but I know he's. You have a, an attachment to the character, right? Um, wh- how does this Joker compare? Like, is this your ideal of the Joker that they show in this cartoon in this show? My my version of the Joker is a a reversion of this. Mm-hmm. I actually don't. I've never really was a Joker fan. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious what your thoughts on him are. But even as a kid, I felt because my basis of Batman mainly comes from this cartoon, and I always felt the go- Joker was kind of goofy. He didn't really pose a real threat to Batman. He was always making stupid, silly mistakes. Even in this one, there's a pie that could have been a bomb, and then Batman could have been dead. Or at the very least, an acid pie. Yeah, an acid pie. <laughs> That sounds like a sex move. <laughs> yeah, the Joker acid pie. Oh, yeah. God, oh my God. <laughs> Kid show. This Kid is going show. to a dark place, man. <laughs> um, I notice when we say something uncomfortable, looking for a pause, you drink your drink really loudly. <laughs> yeah, that's the joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just going to point it out. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, the way that they... Uh, I mean, obviously, Mark Hamill just from the get-go is, is yeah. rocket. Yeah, rocket sauce. Yeah, um, but yeah, for me, the Joker. I think the reason that he works so well as a foiled Batman is uh, he also is very malleable, uh, story to story. Where right. you know you can make him, you can lean into the clown aspect, you can lean into the crime aspect, you can kind of dial him down if you want something. I mean, just look at the ways he's been portrayed in, in all media. I mean, right. the Heath Ledger, Heath, Heath Ledger Joker. Is nothing like the Jack Nicholson Joker, which is well, Jack Nicholson's probably closer to the '60s one than people think that he is, but well, still, Jared Leto is too. I know you haven't. Is seen he really? Suicide. I haven't seen Suicide Squad yet. It's. I don't. 
Side note, I don't think he's really done a new Joker at all. Yeah. I think it's just a 60s giggly version. Interesting. With more knives. But, um, yeah, I think... I think uh, you can... The reason that he's such a good foil for Batman, for me anyway, is that he's not like the you know, the mirror image of Batman. Mm-hmm. But he's the one, I think, that understands Batman enough that he will constantly keep pushing and right. keep pushing and keep pushing to try and find that line. Right. And their whole back and forth is, will Batman ever push back to the extent that the Joker is pushing him? Mm-hmm. And the, once Batman does, then the Joker wins, you know? Right. Which is not, you know, based on this episode, is not what they're really getting into but right. just ideally that's how the joker works for me yeah well when i saw uh, the um chris nolan movies um that the heath, heath leather as you almost <laughs> called him your favorite porn star he that was a new version of joker that i was blown away by like i'd never considered him to be that you know mm-hmm. uh and i but i also really like the um jack nicholson version yeah too so i don't know what my hang up with joker is but uh, i you just you want me to ruin the dark knight for you forever I was watching sure. The Dark Knight with my mom, and about halfway through, she goes, Heath Ledger sounds just like Daffy Duck. And then from that point on, I was like, oh, god damn it. <laughs> now all mom. I can hear in my head is Daffy Duck. Yeah. And he does. He does sound a lot like Daffy Duck. I agree. Your mom ruins everything. <laughs> <laughs> You've actually never talked about your mom. <laughs> She's very nice lady. Okay. <laughs> um, well, it's Warner Brothers, so Daffy Duck and... That's true. Joker, maybe maybe so. it's a, maybe it's an homage. Which came know. first, I wonder? Uh, ooh. It's mm. a good question. I yeah, that's it for a different podcast. Yep, we'll think about it and get back to you later. Um, but yeah, Mark Hamill. Like, I think this is as much as I don't really care for the story here because it's very arch and very right classic. What you'd expect from the Joker, right? This is like the perfect way to introduce you to the Mark Hamill Joker because yeah. he ba- he goes from zero to a hundred and all the way back again. Yeah, he doesn't do as much of the stuff he does later, which is the stuff I really like, mm-hmm. where he he does that like lower registered joker where he's like pissed off at harley or something like that i love that lower register joker yeah this is more like high octane yeah but he does pretty much all of it here yeah yeah again i think that uh both of these episodes don't go too deep with the characters i think they're very much on the surface Mm -hmm. um and the lower register joker is another layer and to get there you almost have to you need harley there or you need something to go wrong and you need to know another side of joker to get why and it is much better yeah but uh, i think just two episodes in we're mostly on the surface with most of these characters mm-hmm. still you know yeah. what do you think of his design uh oh man like the yellow teeth and the yellow eyes and the, the hood ornament haircut i don't love it but i didn't love the season four version either yeah where they give him those like really beady black eyes yeah. and they get rid of the the smile or the red yeah. lips and stuff yeah, yeah it's it's tough i think he I actually think this Joker works better in stills mm. than he does in the cartoon. Cause you can, or like if you get a toy of this Joker, it looks great. Right. But I think when he starts moving, he can get a little bit kind of yeah. wobbly. And yeah. The wobbly. proportions are so weird on his face with his nose and his hair. It's yeah. I, I think that the animators were still figuring him out. Yeah. To some degree. Um, staying on design for a minute. I do, I do like that. They, they basically use the Tim Drake Robin costume but put it on um, Dick Grayson. Right. Which makes sense, because, I mean, the Dick Grayson Robin costume is preposterous. Right. Um, and it's also, for anybody reading the comics, it's an easy yeah. one-to-one. Wait, um, is that with the, the, the bells on his 
stockings. Or yeah, what? he's got like the short, the Dick Grayson. He's got the short shorts. Oh yeah, okay. you know the bare legs and yeah. like the little like yeah. you know Peter Pan boots. <laughs> and the all all yellow cape instead of the black cape with the yellow inside. You remember uh, a uh, there was a, a parody of Batman on uh, Tiny Toons, and they had Bat Duck and his sidekick Decoy. <laughs> I do remember that actually. <laughs> Good so show. The, the yellow makes sense, man. Yeah. yeah, they knew what they those guys on Tiny Toons knew what they were talking about when it came to Batman. Um. But yeah, that reminds me, uh, like, they always do that, they tend to do that sometimes when there's multiple versions of a character, they kind of consolidate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know there's there was a very short-lived, and by short-lived, I think they only shot the pilot of a live-action Justice League mm-hmm. show that if, in the 90s, and the Green Lantern that they had on the show yeah. was, uh, um, he dressed like Guy Gardner, and he had the backstory of Hal Jordan, but his name was Kyle Rayner. So mm-hmm. they took three different Green Lanterns and just meshed right. them together. Was Guy Gardner the guy with the bowl cut? Yes. Yeah. Okay. He had like the vest, yeah. like a green vest. Yeah. yeah. Why don't they call him Guy Bowl Cut? Don't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, man. Um, These are the jokes. <laughs> Um, so one scene that I really loved in this was, um, Operation Cause and Effect. <laughs> Wait, okay, we'll go to that first. <laughs> no, you finished. <laughs> I'm out of drinks, that way I can't, I can't do your punchline stick. <laughs> um, so, uh, when they're in the, uh, Toy House or Lafco factory, first of all, why doesn't Batman just knock over every joke store related where Yeah, world's Batman? greatest detective, <laughs> Lafco factory should be the first place he looks every yeah. time. In driving the Batmobile, Batman did know an unusual amount about, like, like uh, Patty P herself oh, that, yeah. or whoever it was. <laughs> uh, he knew they were discontinued. He knew where to go at the factory. Uh, no GPS, just knew how to get there. Uh, and um, when they get there, uh, the uh, music from um, Nutcracker starts playing. Oh, yeah. And I'm a big Tchaikovsky fan. I love classical music in general, but Tchaikovsky, that soundtrack to that show is better than the show itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and when um, you hear like the... The Batman grabs a bat and he starts knocking these things over. And mm-hmm. I know they're big, dumb, stupid robots and toys, but I really love that idea. And with that soundtrack, it was really perfect. Oh yeah, that scene's great. I mean, yeah. it does. When I say it, it is reminiscent of the '60s show. It kind of is, but I mean, it still works. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, the, this cartoon it gives you that sort of leeway where crazy shit like this can happen and you right. don't have to explain it. Yeah, you know, yeah. like how did the Joker turn the observatory into a, a cannon? Yeah. But, okay. Well, there's. But then again, but the the Christmas tree thing throws us at the beginning. Yeah. Well, I think there's good '60s and there's bad '60s. Yeah. Oh, and definitely. I don't know. It's like like porn. I know it when I see it. <laughs> I see it a lot <laughs> with Heath Leather. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about that music too because that's like a great piece because uh, you know it's it's a Christmas episode the the Nutcracker thing so they're starting it off that like that but as the battle intensifies right. she changes the key and turns it into a minor melody right. and it just adds bits and pieces here and there to amplify so you it's you can still recognize it as the nutcracker song right but it's she's changing it enough to make it fit right the uh the action and the tension right. of the scene which is which is really yeah. great and they even switched to another song from that soundtrack yep dance of the gummy shoe fairies or whatever <laughs> It's it's quicker. It's more like the Home Alone music, like yeah, the whole scene was really neat. But to me, it was totally '60s, but it was good '60s, and I, I don't know why it works for me. But the Christmas tree rocket does not. 
Yeah, yeah. I love uh, um, uh, Robin wears a watch under his gloves. Oh yeah, well you know, <laughs> <laughs> which is a great it's a great way to get around. Uh, I know the Simpsons do this a lot. Whenever Homer needs to check the time. Yep. Whenever he whenever Homer has a watch, yeah, needs to check the time. The shot before he checks his watch, he's wearing a watch, <laughs> and then the minute he's done checking the time, the watch is gone. <laughs> They kind of do it with Bender and Futurama. Yeah. Whatever button or cord, whatever he needs to be inside his chest is just there, as if he always had a little ticker timer yep. light, and then immediately when it's not being used, it's gone. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah, that's the the beauty of animation. <laughs> oh, man. Um, do you have anything in particular you'd change in this? Oh yeah. What uh, what scene would you like to draw or redraw? Um, I would I would redraw the Joker's escape into something a little bit more interesting. Right. Oh, that's a good way to take the question. Yeah. How would you... What, what's an interesting way for Joker to get out of Gotham? Uh, I would... I would... I like it better when you don't see how he gets out. Right. So, like, take the killing joke yeah. where he's just gone and he's got that guy in there who's taken his place and he's wearing Joker makeup. Right. I like when you see the, the result of him oh, escaping. that's good. So, like, you know, you let's, let's say yeah. it was that scene they're going through... Um, uh, Arkham Asylum and then you get to a room where just like everybody in there has like right. Smilex grins on or something and he's and it's just like oh he's just gone you, know, right, like he, right, right. you don't need to know exactly how he got out but that he did yeah that's, that's a good point I think I would have him escape <clears throat> by going through the nativity scene taking the cross of Jesus Christ oh boy. which also <laughs> happens to be a pogo stick <laughs> And then he jumps Flipping it over. So it's an upside down cross. So exactly. he his feet on the bottom. Exactly. Yeah. Man. I mean, that's, why wouldn't you do that? <laughs> and then he would get out that way. <laughs> that's one way to do it. Oh, man. There's a cover. Of that, would have been, that would have been a dark episode. I don't know if that makes it past the, so, the censors. I did a book a while back called Punk Rock Jesus, which uh, is very uh, atheistic, I guess. And most of the covers feature an upside down cross. So uh, I might be making a lot of um, Jesus jokes in this podcast. <laughs> Also, it's, I have a lot of Christian readers. I'm just going to say that right now. <laughs> it's not at all that you're a one-trick pony. No. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I'm just basically rehashing Punk Rock Jesus with the Joker. Yeah, that's how you do it. I mean, that's how, that's, that's, that's how you, yeah. that's the secret to success. Do the same, yeah. the thing that works over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. It works for fill-in name of artists that you don't want to mention here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the scene I might redraw uh, is, um, oh, man. I was going to say the... Uh, Tchaikovsky scene, but um, it, it doesn't work as a comic yeah, book because you need the sound, you need, need the music. music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I go with the uh, Jesus Nativity pogo stick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like overall, it's a little bit clunky towards the end. Yeah. Like, yeah, uh, you know, it's it's a great the episode in general is a great showcase for Mark Hamill. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get a little, you get some nice stuff with Batman and Robin. Another one, it's another one you you don't get any. Um, excuse me, no backstory at all. Yeah, you don't get any backstory on the Joker or yeah. Robin. They're just already there. Right. Um, yeah. So you get to see the... the uh, it's actually a, a good episode to start a Batman and Robin with because you get that instant mm-hmm. uh, ideology difference. You know? Right, right. Um, and the Joker, you know, like I said, he gets 0 to 100, so you get everything from him right away. Right. Um, okay. They do a good job... Well, let's let's go to the rating. What would you, what would you rate this episode? Okay, uh, are we playing a clip before the rating or after? Okay. Probably not at all. All right. (laughs) (laughs) 
the right. the the amount of editing I want to do here is, is okay. very limited. And we did a rating. You did a clip for that uh, was just to break the between, two episodes. Oh, that yeah. makes smart man. Okay, uh, I'm gonna go for a. Hmm. I'm gonna go two. Mm-hmm. A high two. Yeah. How about you? Uh, I think I'm gonna go three, just because again I think it's a good starting point for a lot of the stuff you get later. Uh, the Mark Hamill's he's great. You know, right. The, the the Batman and Robin stuff is good. Um, it could probably be there's a better story in there I think than they give you. But yeah. I think my three comes from just the the characters. Uh, you know, without the opening scene, I think I'd go strong three. Yeah. Maybe I'll go three. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I uh, I had something else to say that I was going to wait till we rated, and now I forgot what it is. So I mm. guess we're done. Clever. Maybe you're going to take a nice dramatic sip. <laughs> <laughs> Only at the right time. Uh, anyway, uh, that's going to do it for us on this episode. Uh, next time, <clears throat> we will be watching Nothing to Fear and The Last Laugh, which is a Scarecrow episode and a, another Joker episode. So those should be pretty interesting. Nice. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thanks so much. If you're listening on iTunes, please give us a rating or a review. That would be awesome. And uh, thanks, Sean. And we'll see you next time.